Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game-Changing Business Model Disruption, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help you shake up the status quo in your company's business capabilities and move your organization in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run, drive, walk, or be with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. We have a quote from Tony Klimas, K-L-I-M-A-S. He's a global finance performance improvement leader. That's a long title with EY. I found this quote on digitalistmag.com. Let me read it and then we'll get started on our topic. He says, agility has become arguably the most critical attribute a company needs to remain competitive and relevant. Now, let's just unpack that for a second. Agility, that's what we're going to be talking about. Competitive and relevant, what else is there really today? So, it's mid-2019. We're actually hurtling toward what we've been talking about for decades. 2020 is coming up in about 72 days. But your same old business structures, your models, your processes, everything you've been doing will not sustain you anymore. It won't keep you competitive. It won't keep you relevant. Here's a reality check. Let's look at what's happening in your company's finance organization. Is your company dreaming about an efficient, agile finance organization, one that delivers sustainable business values, that means just keeps on going, through real-time data insights, reduced cost of operations, and innovation. Oh my goodness, what a great dream. Well, we have good news for you. You can build an intelligent finance line of business function with next-gen technologies. And we're talking, of course, here on Game Changes about machine learning and RPA and data intelligence and blockchain and so much more. It sounds exciting. It sounds great. It sounds promising. But how in the world do you get there? We've got a panel of three experts who are going to help us figure this out today. Can't wait to talk to them. Let me just tell you who they are briefly and then they will introduce themselves. So in just a moment, you'll be hearing from Samir Jaipati. He spells his last name J-A-I-P-A-T-I. He is EY, America's Agile Finance Leader. Couldn't think of a better person to have on the panel. Joining him is one of the sponsors of this series, Torsten Leiduck. It's been too long since he's been on the show with me. He's the Global VP of SAP Platform and Technologies Ecosystem. Welcome back, Torsten. And then we have, I think he's been on before, Martin Narashevsky and he'll pronounce his name correctly for me, Senior VP and General Manager of Line of Business Finance at SAP. Gentlemen, very happy to have you on. Samir, why don't you kick this off and please tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are, and what your job is. Good morning, Bonnie, and thank you for the opportunity to, to share our perspective. As Pleasure. As said, uh, I'm, a, I'm a partner with EY Consulting, and I lead a solution called Agile Finance. And put it simply, uh, we, we help CFOs, CIOs, and finance leaders understand how they can explore and exploit new technology for their benefit. So this is the time to thrive and not threatened by technology. So in that role, I have the privilege to working with multiple CFOs and CIOs and, and develop their transformation roadmap and almost uh, reimagine finance for the future. Uh, that's my quick introduction, Bonnie. Thank you, Samir. How do you pronounce your last name? I want to make sure I get it right. Did I say it right? Yes, it's it's a Jepati. Jepati. Thank well. you very much. And and agile is in the title of what you do. Is agility as important to the finance organization as I said it was in my intro? Just a quick reality check, Samir. Absolutely, absolutely, Bonnie. And the reason why agility is even more important now. Because we all know that the velocity of change is increasing day by day. And it's very hard to predict what's going to happen even two years from now, forget about five to ten years. Mm-hmm. And we believe the finance function that has the agility to respond to changes will be the successful finance organization. It's, just, it's almost impossible to design something saying that this will last for 10 years or 20 years because that's what we have been doing for the last you know, hundreds of years. So that's why it is important to design your operating model with that agility. Uh, and I mean, the story I tell is that, hey, if you are in high school and you know you're going for swimming or football or soccer, I mean, you can 
train in that game sports and then you'll be successful four years from five years from now. But if you don't know which sports you're going to play in the next two years, it's very important to keep yourself fit for any type of sports. So think like the similar way how finance function has to be ready for any type of sports uh, that they have to perform in. Thank you very much. I love the sports analogy. And who isn't thinking about sports right now in the world? There's so much going on. Thank you, Samir. And you promised me you would smile during the show, and I can hear you smiling. And we are very, very privileged to have you on the panel. So thank you for kicking this off. Let's move around the table one spot to Torsten Lydak. Torsten, welcome back to your series. It's been way too long since you've been on the air. And Torsten, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience, please? What have you been up to? Yeah, sure, absolutely, and a pleasure to be back here, Bonnie. Yeah, my name is Thorsten Leuduk. I'm here with SAP um, in the platform and technologies areas, and I drive our ecosystem activities in this, um, for this function. Um, so platform and technology really comprises our p- business technology platform, which helps customers to innovate um, effectively, extending core SAP solutions, but also leveraging data to drive business outcome, and the focus on the ecosystem is really to work with partners like EY to enable agile innovations for our customers through the ecosystem so that customers have choice, um, get access to a much broader set of new functionality, which complements SAP's core abilities, but also leverage SAP's technologies around data management, um, machine learning, blockchain, big data, IoT, and others to really set up an effective enterprise end-to-end and obviously also for the financial area in particular. Thank you very much, Torsten. And do you agree with what Samir said a moment ago, that agility really is that critical for what I said in my intro, competitiveness, relevance? It, it's, is it one of the core values we need to see in finance organizations? Yeah, I tend to agree, right? I mean, finance, I would say, a couple of years ago was seen as a rather stable area where it was more about Mm -hmm. driving efficiency and maybe not so much innovation, but with the introduction of all the new technologies around LBA, machine learning, conversational AI, um, and big data and the ability really to basically um, drive data insights in real time across the entire financial supply chain, this has really become a big game changer, and the financial organization accordingly has a very important part um, to enable the entire enterprise um, with innovation and to basically deliver t- um, business value in much shorter time, um, increasing the working capital. And what it means is you have to require, really adjust your processes effectively and quickly. You have to raise the degree of automation to lower the cost of operations and obviously mm-hmm. optimize the entire cash management for the company to, as I said, increase the working capital effectively. So I agree you know, that agility is important and that the requirements um, you know, from a market perspective but also from an internal customer perspective um, are significant and require and strategy how you adjust your processes effectively to those needs and to implement this effectively across the entire financial supply chain, but as I said, also enabling then the entire enterprise with that. Thank you very much, Torsten. Words of wisdom. Nice to have you back. And let's go around the table to Martin. I'm saying Narashevsky. Am I pronouncing that right, Martin? That is perfect. That is perfect. Oh, yeah. and you sound phenomenally clear. This is a wonderful connection. Martin, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell them what you, who you are and what you do. All right. Yeah, sounding clear despite the cold that I'm having. So hopefully this is not deteriorating. <laughs> yeah, nope. So I'm as global general manager responsible for the business that SAP um, is doing in the entire space of finance, risk, and tech. So to say, the entire solution portfolio that we offer for CFOs and their direct reports. Um, that is basically the job. Thank you very much. Let's get your t- that was brief until the point, Martin. Let's get your. T- I want to hear more from you. I want our listeners to get to know you. What's your take on agility for finance? As as uh, Torsten was saying, finance was always stable, and actually, we have a series called "A Financial Excellence with Game Changers." It's been on the air with me for. I think eight or nine years, we're in season nine right now. And we talk about how finance used to be just there. It was spreadsheets and it was green lamps and they were in the basement. 
basement and they didn't want technology and they were just doing their thing and looking in the rearview mirror and doing their reports and all of a sudden it became clear that they needed to be the steward of the business and embrace technology and have real-time insert sites and guide the rest of the C-suite. What's your take on that, Martin? How critical is agility now for finance? Absolutely. There's just so much change in the air. Um, you alluded already to it. It's coming from different directions. It's on the one hand side, um, increased demands, steering the co- helping to steer the company and so on. It is new technologies that need to be employed, um, f- fancy new things like machine learning, the latest of, of high tech, so to say, on the software side. Um, but then on the other side, also the environment is changing rapidly. And while mm-hmm. all of these phases of finance transformation that we've seen in the past centered around how to do finance processes better, it's still, as you described, the same outcome. Now better, it's less Excel, it's less manual, but um, doing it better, doing it more efficient, doing it faster, doing it more compliant. Now what is changing is really um, the significant transformations that a lot of the businesses are undergoing, not in every industry, but in many, um, moving to more digital business models, um, business models that are reaching out more towards the end consumers. And now finance is, um, of course, needed in order to support all of this enterprise transformation. So it's not only about making what was done before better, but now supporting totally new ways of doing business. And the demands coming from that can be novel, but they're certainly challenging. And this requires a lot of change because this is a very agile and dynamic world. Certainly is. Thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you to the three of you for your introductions and for your words of wisdom on our topic. Now it's time for those of you listening. If you're not familiar with the Game Changers format, I ask my panelists in advance to send an inspirational quote that is not specifically about our topic. And then I ask them on air here live in their own words to relate the quote to our topic and see we see how they think and, and how they put things together. It's an interesting way to find out how smart they really are. That's why they're here. So Samir Jaipati at EY has sent us a quote from Heather Ash Amara. I had no idea who she was. Samir, I looked her up. She wrote, warrior goddess training, become the woman you're meant to be. I love that. And she, uh, let me read a little bit from her bio. Heather Ash, and that's one word, Heather, and then the word, the name A-S-H as part of that with a capital A, Amara, weaves the most powerful practices of shamanic traditions to support individuals in the manifestation of their highest potential. She apprenticed under Vicky Noble in 1991, taught extensively with Don Miguel Ruiz, and then she founded the Toltec Center of Creative Intent in 2001. And here is the quote. It's a lovely one. Change is inevitable, but transformation is by conscious choice. Samir, how in the world did you find this quote, and how does it relate to our topic about agility in the finance organization? Please. Absolutely. And, and, and Bonnie, it's just interesting to to have the same quote in very different contexts, right? I mean, what she mm-hmm. talks about is transforming individual and society. And when I write that quote, I'm like, yeah, this is very much applicable in the area of finance. Because most of the time, we as financial leaders wait for things to change and we react to that. Like typically, you know, we'll wait for some time. Okay, maybe we'll do it next year, two years from now. So, the challenge with that mentality or the mindset is that you are not making conscious choice. Your strategy, your transformation journey is not intentional. It is reactionary. So when I saw that quote, I'm like, that is really, really important because in the past, we could have afforded that. That, okay, you know what, let business change and I'm going to change a year, two years from now. But now we don't have that luxury, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to make the conscious choice. We have to be very intentional, proactive, and say, hey, before change impacts me, I'm going to make sure I take advantage of this disruption. And that's why this quote uh, was stuck to me, and I'm like, and I've used this in various discussions with financial leaders, and they're like, it makes sense because. Most of the time, we will say, oh, there's no burning platform. Why should I change? Right? Mm-hmm. Be- because change is happening slowly every day. Right? It's not like suddenly we go to digital world and, and this was the last day of you know, analog world. Right? The digital world is, is progressing for the last many years. And if you don't make that conscious choice, you may not be the winner 
or you may not be the relevant business partners that you aspire to be. Thank you very much. Let me ask you a quick question about this, Samir, before we move on to Torsten's quote. Who is the who is the person, the team? Is it at the C-suite? Is it more at the line of business level? Who makes this conscious choice to transform, to change, to embrace new technologies, to say, yes, we know we have to be agile now? Who Whose job is it to make this conscious decision? That's a wonderful question, Bonnie, because that's a typical question we, we have been asked that, hey, uh, our CFO is busy with this big merger or our CFO is busy with something else. Uh, so we'll just wait for him to take that choice, right? Mm-hmm. And my recommendation is that this conscious choice doesn't have to come from the top. It will be great if it comes from the board level and C-suite level, but it doesn't have to come from the top. We have examples after examples where a manager, a director, a department head, an analyst took something. He said, hey, this is really cool. I should do something about it, right? And then they started with a very small piece of POC development, and then they drove that change because as soon as they did something, they showed to other people and they say, hey, that's really cool. We should do that too, right? So the the decision about conscious choice is not only the privilege of CFOs or C-suite level. Like it's privilege and and responsibility for everybody to 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 adopt that. Uh, we have clients who have a structural program for this journey. We have clients who are innovation is happening in different pockets around the world. Um, so it's there is no one answer to this question. Uh, it has to be everybody's responsibility to make sure that we are educated and from culture perspective. The, or the firm has to be empowered, empowering to employees to take that conscious choice. Because sometimes you see that a culture is not uh, very friendly to innovation, right? It's like it, it almost punish if you fail for anything. But if your culture is where you are empowering, educating your employees, they will take that conscious choice. And then you just have to be ready to promote that risk-taking capacity and and explore and expand that to other part of the organization. And, and I'm not talking about the boundaries of finance only. Uh, I'm talking about boundaries of the firm as well as outside boundaries. Thank you very much, Samir. Really appreciate the, the in-depth look at what this all means, and that's what we're trying to do today. So thank you. Torsten Leidek, you're up next. Torsten has sent us a quote from Charles Kettering, who lived from 1876 to 1958, known as Charles Boss Kettering. He was an American inventor, engineer, businessman, and he held a mere 186 patents. He was the founder of Delco. He was the head of research at General Motors GM from 1920 to 47, and he's most wide, among his most widely Widely used automotive developments were the electrical starting motor and leaded gasoline. Woohoo! So much more to say about Charles Kettering, but it would take up the whole show. It's amazing to me, Torsten, that some of the people who come to us through these quotes on the show and and how talented they were and how innovative they were. And we just think, oh, that guy died in 1958. Well, so what? Well, yes, he was. He was a big deal. Here's the quote Torsten has selected from Charles Kettering. If you've always done it that way. It's probably wrong. I, I love the quote. I'm trying to think of what I've always done that way that could be wrong. Torsten, how did you find this wonderful quote? Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, I was obviously, you know, <laughs> looking for an inspirational quote around innovation. And Charles Catering, obviously, as you said, is a big American inventor and well known for his drive to really go into new space and change the status quo. And I think this is what this quote is really about, that you have to be willing to really change every day what you're doing and if what you're running today is still accurate and relevant tomorrow. Um, I think the quote actually pretty much relates to what Samir was saying, right? I mean, change is happening at any t- anyways. And the question is, do you want to be the one who is part of this change and is addressing it proactively by transforming certain areas of your business or processes or in, you know, even in your personal life, as there might be different aspects to this as well, 
Um, or are you basically the one who just sits in there until the world has changed and you can likely extend this quote and saying it's probably wrong, but maybe also too late to change, right? So I think it's a an, um, it's an call to action really for everybody, for every leader in any kind of position in a company, and it obviously applies for finance as well. Um, as I said in the intro, in particular in finance, my observation was, as I said until a few years ago, that everything was more about running things back better, like Martin said, and drive more effectiveness and efficiency, but not necessarily to do disruptional change across the financial supply chain and financial processes end-to-end. And with this race of you know, new technologies, but also deployment models like cloud and the entry of disruptors like fintechs who really changed the, uh, the status quo significantly, there's a huge potential, but also a significant need to really realign um, financial processes internally, to drive simplification, to address the demand of the internal and external customers, um, and to show the value to the organization in an effective way by staying agile. So it comes back to the intro that agility and change is important, and you need to really be actively driving it if you want to stay relevant tomorrow. Thank you very much. appreciate that. And Martin Arashevsky picked also a quote about change. And I have to tell our listeners, I don't sit down with my panelists and say, okay, everybody, the theme is change and agility. Everybody pick a famous quote about change. We don't do that. They select, they they prepare their materials for me separately, individually, wherever they are around the world, whatever they're doing. It just so happens that all three quotes deal specifically with change, which I find is very interesting because the title of this series is Game Changing. There's that word, business model disruption. Disruption is another word for change. So Martin has selected a quote from JFK. That's John F. Kennedy. This was from Kennedy's address in the Assembly Hall at the Polskirch in Frankfurt, June 26, 1963, and it is very famous because during this historic visit to Germany, JFK gave the great Ich bin ein Berliner address in Berlin. Those of you who have been living totally under a rock, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, 1917 to 1963, referred to as JFK or Jack Kennedy, was an American politician who served as the 35th President of the United States from January 61 until he was assassinated in November 1963. I remember exactly where I was the day JFK was shot. It's just one of those things when you were growing up in that era, you never forgot it like most of us don't. We'll never forget where we were when 9-11 happened in the U.S. So here's the quote. Change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or present are certain to miss the future. Martin, another beautiful quote. Tell me how you found this one. I'm fascinated. Yeah, so um, it looks like really there's a lot of change in the air today, yeah, but it's just um, showing how relevant the topic is. And at the end of the day, it's such a universal quote. That's why I like it. But um, it can be applied even to finance in multiple ways. And one way is what I alluded already to earlier. Um, there is a natural path of finance transformation. And even though the most modern technologies like machine learning, robotics, and so on are being um, employed these days, it's still a continuation of what the finance departments have done in the past. But now the question is really, what does your company need in the future? Do you have a good visibility about where the company is going and what support from you as a finance function will your company need, which is quite different from just quote-unquote, which is still important, having a a more cost-efficient, as as was said, a finance process. Now, it comes to the point, can you even predict what your company will need in the future, what kind of processes you need to build, which is then coming back to the initial quote that you gave us at the beginning of the show around agility. Mm -hmm. The only way how you can deal with this uncertainty is have powerful, agile processes, which can adapt to the things that you can't foresee. Um, that is one way to look at it, but there in finance multiple other ways, like for example, um, what more on the management accounting side is happening, just looking into the rear mirror from um, the perspective of analyzing past performance, also not good enough anymore. It's more about trying to get better to simulations, to forecasts, and there are many different ways how you can look at this from a finance perspective, technology, for example. Um, the move from on-premise to the cloud um, in finance solutions is happening right now. So there are multiple ways how this is relevant, and that's why I found it in its universality a quite interesting quote here. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate the quotes from all three of you. And now we want to get to know you just a little bit more personally. So let's start with Samir Jaypati. Samir, where in the world are you calling from today? And just a quick note, what's your favorite beverage so we can know a little bit more about you, Samir? Absolutely, Bunny. I'm, I'm here in the great state of Michigan, U.S., and I'm looking outside, beautiful fall, bright day. Uh, you can see the multiple colors of yellow, oranges, and right on the trees. So really great to, great day to talk to all of you. And in terms of my favorite beverages, like I really uh, need to have a, a spicy version of tea. So, so in India, it's called masala chai. Basically, think like chai tea latte mm-hmm. uh, uh, at a local store. You can get, and I just finished my second cup of that. So it's a, it's a milk, tea, water, sugar, and blend of spices like ginger, cardamom, etc. So that's my favorite beverages every day morning. Thank you. It sounds delicious. I'm glad you've had some already because I can tell you're up for the game here on Game Changers Radio. Thank you, Samir. Torsten, where are you today and what do you love to drink? Yeah, I'm in New York today um, and obviously enjoying the view on the city here um, from our beautiful office. Um, with regards to the drink, I was visiting Porto over the weekend in Portugal and I had the opportunity to do some port wine tasting there. So I brought a couple of nice bottles of Porto, and I'm not drinking them right now while we speak, but later this evening I will open that and we'll have a nice Kopke Colheto port wine from 2007, mm. um, which is really from the oldest wine pl- uh, port wine house here in the Douro Valley in, in Porto. Thank you very much. That sounds delicious. I'll fly over and have a glass with you. That sounds good. Martin yeah. Arashevsky, where are you today and what do you love to drink? Yeah, so I'm today in Berlin, in our Berlin office, so I'm also only an adapted Berliner, so to say, and I'm not really original. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, what I look like to drink, the port wine is also a great selection, so I'm not taking that one here because um, that was already taken, and because I have another one, which is maybe a little bit more exotic, um, that is Pisco Sour. This is a drink coming from Latin America, I think from Peru originally, which is from the outside looking like um, champagne with foam rather than bubbles on top of it. Um, so it is a more complex composition than just a normal champagne, but it's tasting um, excellently. And yeah, we had it the first time on our honeymoon trip to Patagonia. I have it here, a Pisco Sour, an alcoholic cocktail of Peruvian origin, typical of the cuisines from Chile and Peru. Drink's name comes from Pisco, the base liqueur, and the cocktail term sour in reference to sour citrus juice and sweetener components. It has one ounce of lemon juice. Am I on the right one? Is that correct, yes. Norton? Yes, you are. One egg. One- one egg, oh, I know this from memory. One, one egg white, one and a half, I make this every day for breakfast. No, I don't. One egg white, one and a half ounces of Pisco, three quarter ounce of simple syrup. And the, it's basically, it's an exercise routine, Martin, because you have to vigorously shake the contents and then strain them into a cocktail glass. So there's exercise involved. That makes it a very, very healthy drink. Forgive me. I'm, I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. I think we're going to skip the break and just, Aaron, we're going to skip the break because it's 1032 already. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. I am not permitted to have any caffeine on radio show days. Torsten has heard me say this many times and it may be a surprise to Samir and Martin. I'm not sure, but, uh, this is where I, where my home broadcast office is. So I'm just having water. Yes, it's a little bit boring but I'm using silicone straws right now. I I gave up the paper straws, so I'm trying to be ecologically kind to the environment. I did buy some stainless steel straws. I found them at TJ Maxx. It's a little, very pretty, but I haven't dared to open the package yet, so maybe by next time we're on the air, I will have try the stainless steel straw. So here we are. We're not going to take a break. This is just too good a conversation. I'm speaking today with Samir Jepati at EY, Torsten Lydic at SAP, and Martin Narashevsky at SAP. I have to tell the three of you, your phone connections are some of the best we've had in a long, long time. Uh, my engineer and I are just saying, wow, these gentlemen sound really, really great. Our topic today is driving innovation in finance, agile business solutions. And in my opening a little while ago, I quoted Tony Clemus from EY that agility is the most critical attribute a company needs to remain competitive and relevant. Today, we're focusing on agility of the finance organization in companies all over the world. So, Samir, I'm looking at your notes here. And 
Let's go to your statement number three. I like that one. I'm going to read it and ask you to spend about two minutes explaining it. Then we'll see if Torsten agrees or disagrees, and then we'll get Martin in. Then I'll pick a statement from Torsten's list he sent me. We'll go around the table and one from Martin. Let's see where we go before we come to our predictions at 51 after. So Samir just told me the following before the show. He says, the transformation roadmap needs to start with a clear vision and target state ability capabilities. A new mindset and approach are necessary to reimagine the future of finance. So let's break this down. Samir, tell me what this means. Who, as I said to you before, whose job is it to to write this clear vision to state the capabilities? Go ahead, Samir. Absolutely. In this case, uh, this has to be a collective um, vision. Uh, but it is it has to be sponsored by the CFO. And mm-hmm. because the reason why is the executive sponsorship and participation is critical to the success. So this is not CFO's vision. This is the vision of finance organization engaged and supported by CFO, by the CFO. And the reason why um, I said that a clear vision is, is very important because as Martin and Thorson rightly described, there are so many new technologies that can help you. Right, so it's just very it's like there's so many options to choose for. Without a clear destination, it's very hard what to choose when and in combination with what. Right, so we we in, almost insist that hey, let's define. Don't worry about technologies. Don't worry about operating model. Let's do a very simple exercise to say, hey, in the future where you have your you're competing with different sets of competitors. You are going to markets where you have not gone before. You're trying to do something different. What will be the role of finance? Where do you see finance mm-hmm. helping internal and external stakeholders? And more important nowadays, how you're helping communities and societies. Right? So that clarity of vision is important. Once you have the clarity of vision, you say, okay, now to deliver on that promise, I need to have capabilities like I think Martin, you said is that it's very important to use nowadays. It's very common to say, "Hey, let's use machine learning for a better forecasting." Now, that is a capability most of the organization do not have today. They do forecast uh, in most cases a very tedious and manual process, and it takes a lot of time. Right. So, in future, if you want to be a really good partner to business and say, "Hey, I want, I'm going to give you ability." to quickly forecast, quickly change it without spending hours and hours on, on your systems, um, I need to have a capability to use machine learning for forecasting. Right? So, so it's very important to have a clear vision, what are capabilities you require, and then all the enablers, the technology, the people, the organization, mm-hmm. will kind of help you get there. Uh, and that's why we, we really um, talk about the vision and target state capabilities. The story I tell is a very simple one. That hey, uh, personally, I don't go to home improvement shop and buy tools and things like that without a clarity of what exactly I'm trying to build. Right? I'm I'm remodeling kitchen. I'm in changing my windows. Like what I'm trying to do. Once I have that clarity, then I go to mm-hmm. home improvement store, buy stuff, and all of that stuff. And that's a very high chances of. Uh, uh, optimized cost solution. Right? Think about a similar thing. Like if you are trying to transform your finance function, if you want to be ready for disruption, you need to have that clarity. And then you go and shop around tools and assets and an organization model and things like that. Uh, and that kind of resonates very well because it's very easy to understand the story, uh, basically reinforcing the message here. Thank you very much. Good start to this part of our conversation. Torsten, I'm going to invite you in and ask you, do you agree or disagree with what Samir shared with us? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Samir. Um, First, that it's a collective effort, but more importantly, even also that, you know, obviously the purpose is to generate business volume. And to generate business volume, you need to have clearly and stated outcome and vision and defined objectives. Um, to drive the innovation, you need to have then the buy-in from the organization, and I think this really involves all the key stakeholders to execute on this objective and vision. And as we know, transformation is quite a significant effort and has 
a lot of disruption across the organization and potentially meets even some cultural change. So from that perspective, it's important that this is really driven um, from the top level, but also that all the stakeholders really clearly understand what the expected outcome is and why it's being done and what at the end the benefits are and how everybody is basically supposed to benefit from that. Um, so after having this in place, you clearly need to define the requirements, the kind of roadmap, um, how you get to this endpoint. And I agree with what Samir said that technology is at the end an enabler, right? I mean, it basically machine learning and all those other things like LBA and also big data um, mm -hmm. or conversational AI or all the other technologies which might be relevant. At the end, they help to improve the processes and to help to reach this end state. But the objective is really to drive business value, and as such, you know, they are part of the equation, but they come in later once it's very clear where you want to go. Thank you very much. Martin Narashevsky, love to have your thoughts. Agree or disagree with whatever Samir started with and what Torsten added. Go ahead. Yeah, I would like to just add something, and this is really what we see as a significant challenge in reality is um, making sure that the technology change and the people, process, culture, however you want to call it, so the organizational change, that this is going hand in hand. And it's not so easy because um, typically it's different, even so it should be all connected, but the people change is more so to say the agenda of um, the finance people themselves. This is something they can run more autonomously. Um, a lot of help is needed on the IT side to drive the technology um, change, but all too often it could be a, an upgrade project or something else just driving the technology and making sure that the technology change and the people change or the organizational change is going hand in hand. This is a significant challenge. Um, often projects are going in phases and just to make sure that after whatever technology has reached, reached a certain maturity, the people is then adapting to it and vice versa um, requires a lot of coordination and also the understanding then from the business side how important the technology side is and how to work with the IT side in the right way. Um, sounds trivial, but I think this is one of the biggest, um, how should I say, risk factors. Um, also an opportunity to get it right in order to really drive effective change. Then. Thank you very much. Good conversation. Samir, anything you want to add to this before I move on to something from Torsten's list? No, I think uh, that was a great ad. Good. Good conversation. Thank you for the good starter. Torsten, let's talk about specific technology. You say automation of manual tasks and business processes through the implementation of technologies like RPA and machine learning requires companies to rethink the role of the future employee in the line of business of finance. Once you unpack this for us, Torsten, where are you taking this? What are we what are we looking at in terms of the role of the future employee and maybe the credentials or the training or the education of that future employee? Go ahead, Torsten. Yeah, sure, of course. I mean, you know, with all this introduction of the new technologies which we're referring to like robotic process automation, machine learning, conversational AI and others, um, and it goes back to the discussion we just had to enable business outcomes. One of the goals is obviously to drive um, sh shorter time to value and increase the effectiveness and efficiency of the organization. And to, in, to achieve this, a higher level of automation is very important and is part of this transformation process, uh, which at the end impacts the workforce to a certain extent, because if processes like matching, for example, payments against invoices automatically um, prevails, then obviously at a certain time, you know, you don't need necessarily resources doing this kind of more administrative work. Um, the good news is obviously that people will be freed up from rather standard and administrational efforts and will have the opportunity to focus more on strategic activities in the financial space and obviously also more time on decision-making and, in fact, will be even more empowered to drive those kind of um, activities forward. But with also, you know, having much more insights and to real-time data and um, the which is basically the foundation for the decision-making and, and the analytics and the predictive uh, models as well as to simulation efforts, you need to have obviously a different skill set to a certain extent to enable that. And so, for example, 
um, roles like data scientists, which are already present, will likely significantly become more relevant um, to drive this kind of change. And obviously, really, um, this kind of transformation to really get into this level of sophistication that you can drive the financial organization effectively from a forecast perspective, from a planning perspective, risk management perspective, and all those areas which are affected. On the other hand, because those enablers are relevant and to the point that you also need to manage the technology transformation, you will need to have some experts who really can understand how those technologies help to design and optimize those F&A processes end-to-end and how this impacts the user experience internally as well as externally. So there's a combination of more data specialists, uh, scientists, if you will, plus obviously some more experts who are capable to design end-to-end processes with an understanding how those kind of technologies as enablers help to drive automation and increase efficiency and effectiveness across the line of finance. Thank you, Torsten. Good part of our conversation. Martin Naraszewski, join us, please. Thoughts on what Torsten just shared with us? Go ahead. Yeah, so I absolutely agree with what was said. Maybe just to give some additional color to it. We did some market research, and what we found is that world-class finance organizations have stopped already a couple of years ago, reducing the overall um, cost, so to say, of the finance organization relative to revenue. Um, but nevertheless, they have continued investing into automation, but the money they saved um, on the process, the transactional process side due to automation, they've reinvested this into better analytical capabilities, means better business partnering, doing um, better cost analysis, planning, forecasting, and so on. Um, so from a human perspective, um, the, the number of people they needed did not go down and uh, this is also an experience that we have made internally in our company. So the total number of, so to say, people working in the finance function has not gone down, but their job profile is changing. And uh, honestly, a lot of the people who went into finance at first place after university studies, they had the aspiration of becoming a business partner, doing smart analysis and so on, and were just bogged down by all of these mundane transactional topics, creating reports and so on. And many of them feel relieved that they're now finally getting the time to do what they always aspire to do when they join, so to say, the finance function at first place. But then, um, as was also said, there are new roles emerging, which are super important. Um, data scientists, for example. I mean, the word machine learning sounds as if you could just throw an arbitrary problem at a machine and the machine is learning how to deal with that. Unfortunately, the reality is quite a bit um, away from that. So there is a lot of deep mathematical work that needs to be done to build for a specific problem, the right model, parameterize it in the right way, and so on, find the right input parameters, um, whatever else is needed, interpret the outcomes, so there is also totally new um, job categories, so to say, emerging in the area of data science, which is typically a great uh, space in order to attract um, new talent from universities who have learned this now. So there is indeed quite a bit of a um, role or a skill um, change happening in finance organizations, but we found that this is just an observation in our own company. Um, that if you manage this properly, there's a lot of potential you have in your finance organization if you unleash the potential of, of the great people you have. Thank you very much. Samir Japati, let's go around the table to you. What are your thoughts on this interesting topic, looking at the people side? Sure. And, Thorsten, thank you for picking this piece because the discussion about technology without talent is meaningless. Right? So, so we truly believe that talent and technology are two sides of the same coin. And they have to complement each other to deliver the business outcomes that we all are expecting. A couple of points, and I I might be repeating the Thorsten and and Martin, your points, but in my mind, there are two imperatives that we need to to be uh, cognizant of. Number one, uh, when you implement technologies like RPA or machine learning on AI, um, one of the big outcomes that we are expecting that the process will be efficient and there will be less manual work. So as you plan those kind of projects, you have to think, hey, what do I do the the capacity that I just freed up? Right? Because in the world where talent is in shortage, we need to figure out way ahead of time that, okay, I'm freeing up three important knowledgeable resources. How do we train them, retool them, and use them in a different role that Martin talked about, right? 
The other piece of that is the demand side. Uh, when we talk about future finance organization, we are going to attract talent which is which is different from from demographic perspective in a millennium X Y Z, uh, or even the technology perspective. Finance organizations are not ready to to address that diverse pool of resources that are going to work in finance. Right? We are very used to very comfortable hiring accountants and MBAs and CPAs and all, mm-hmm. giving them a path for, for progress, right? But what if 30% of my incoming class has zero accounting background? They are data scientists. They are, you know, machine learning experts. They are forecasters, right? So now we need to have a talent model that can not only accommodate the traditional talent that is coming to my organization, but also new type of talent and how they work together. It's very important to have that working together culture to, to drive the value. And on the same thing, I think, Martin, you said, is that the new talent that is coming, and especially in our firm, we have we are facing this problem all over the world. The young people who graduate, they're very smart people, they're very talented people, and when they join firm like us, they said, hey, EY, I did not go to college to do bank reconciliation, right? or accounts payable reconciliation. Uh, I want to do something exciting, something more value add. So the automation is not only because of efficiency, but also an imperative from talent perspective. Because we want to give more exciting work to people and let machine do all the work that is mundane and kind of uh, data gathering and data cleaning kind of work. And and that is driving the, the discussion that we are having today is that you have to think talent and technology in the same sentence, in the same strategy, in the same approach, because if you are paying too much attention to one, then you are missing the point here. Thank you very much, Samir. Gentlemen, we are at the point in the show where it's time for the crystal ball prediction. So, Martin, since we didn't specifically get to any of the discussion statement you sent me before the show, even though I'm looking at them and we covered a lot of the areas you wanted to discuss, I'm going to let you go first and ask you to go first with a 90-second prediction on what will change about this very dynamic, very fluid transformation of the finance LOB line of business using enabling technologies toward automation and just an overall transformation to stay relevant, to help the business stay relevant and competitive. So Martin Arashevsky, you're up first. 90 seconds. Let's have your prediction, please. Then we'll go to Samir and finish with Torsten. Martin, go. All right. First of all, I think to all of the talk about agility and change, nothing will change. That is just the nature of of the thing we're discussing here. There will be always change. But let me highlight one particular point, and this is how our finance um, departments are needing to respond to um, business transformations outside of finance, and this is they need new processes. Um, they need to make sure these processes or the entire transformations are financially viable. Um, this is becoming an important aspect, and the entire new business models which are emerging are trustworthy. So uh, new aspects rather than just their own processes, but things around GSC, um, things around performance management, they all, they all become more and more important. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I don't think you even use your 90 seconds. Samir Japati at EY, go ahead. Ready for you. Why don't you take 90 seconds also? Let's see if you can fill them. Sure. Uh, two two predictions. Number one, finance function of the future is doing different things than what they are doing today. So providing insight and being responsive the way they have never been in past, using all the technologies and talent model. Number two, doing things differently, which is doing exactly the same thing, but with much more automation, much more efficiently. And outcome of all of that is that we are able to attract the best talent in finance. People are going home on time during the month and they're not struggling, working late hours, mm-hmm. through the books. Everything is real time. Stakeholders are happy because they're getting what they need to drive the business to be successful in the digital world. And most important, finance is the fun place to work for, which is the most important thing for all of us to say, really, our talent pool in finance is happy and then fun. They're having fun doing what they're doing. 
It's really hard to hear fun and finance in the same sentence, Samir, and you know that. And very often on these shows, (laughs) yes, yes, on these shows, especially on uh, financial excellence with game changers, I'll say, seriously, you have finance and excitement or enthusiasm or happy to go to work in the same sentence, in the same paragraph, and they will say, Yes, actually, it's very, very true. So anyway, thank you for bringing that up. And I'm glad we had an opportunity to focus on workforce and on people coming into the finance area. It, it was always dry. Yeah, you know, the eye shade sitting in the basement with the spreadsheets. It's not that way anymore at all. Let's move to Torsten Leidick. Torsten, I have a whole 90 seconds for you for your prediction. Go ahead. Yeah, building on what... Samir and Martin said, I think we will see continuous evolution, obviously, of the transformation in the finance area. We will see in further adoption of those core technologies as enabler, which we are talking about. I think the level of automation will really, you know, increase significantly and things which we think today are basically state-of-the-art will become obsolete tomorrow. Um, I think also the user interface in terms of how those financial processes will be accessed and basically triggered um, will change given the capabilities around conversational AI and artificial intelligence and obviously um, natural language processing um, to a certain extent. But also coming back to the previous discussion, I think we'll also see a significant transformation uh, from a talent perspective. Um, The role of finance will change. It powers the enterprise on the one hand side, but um, at the end it is data will become much more relevant, and for that reason, we'll see a higher degree of um, employees who really are focusing more on strategic planning and analysis and prediction simulation, risk management, and obviously cash optimization as well. Thank you very much. Question for all of you. We have just a couple of seconds left. Will the name finance of that LOB, will that change at any point in time? I know it's short and it's only two syllables and it's only F-I-N-A-N-C-E, seven letters. I often ask this question. If finance were to change, uh, like to the Department of Money or uh, I don't know, something like that, Samir, do you, yes or no, and do you have an answer for what it would change to in the next five years? Yes, uh, and that would be value driver. Ah, Torsten, do you have a name for finance? Oh, that's a good one now. <laughs> okay, think about um, it for next. I don't have yeah, go ahead. a name, actually. I just want to re-emphasize, re-emphasize at the end the finance organization powers the enterprise and pays the bills. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Powers and pay, pays the bills, the bill paying. And Martin, quickly, do you have anything for that? Yeah, the value, the value driver theme is really the direction where this is going. Um, we see, for example, in Treasury also changes where it's more like a Treasury calling themselves the chief liquidity officers and things like that. But in the end of the day, finance is so broad and so heterogeneous. We have thought about this actually quite a bit, but we have not found a good term that's capturing all of that. But changes are certainly happening also in nomenclature. Thank you very much. And I'm going to predict that Torsten and his colleague Mark Giall will renew this series for 2020. It's that time of the year where we talk about renewing Game Changers Radio. So I want to say thank you to Nikki Kraken, who helped put the show together. Nikki did a great job. Marsha Malinowski, also at SAP, worked on this, I believe. I want to say a shout-out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team. And now it's time to say goodbye. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Samir Jaipati at EY, just like Torsten Leidick at SAP, and just like Martin Narashevsky at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Business Model Disruption, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.